Welcome to Catacomb Theology, a podcast exploring all manners of Christianity as it relates to the church and world of today, as well as how it is related to the church and world of the past. I'm your host, Jaden Castile, and it is wonderful to have you guys back on Catacomb Theology. Today, we have an interview with Richard Ackerman. He is the account owner and holder of the Redeemed Zoomer Instagram page and one of our beloved writers, Presbyterian writers, I might add, here at the Catacomb. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this interview as we really delve into who he is, his ministry, and what he believes his calling is in the fight for Christendom today, in today's culture, and in the general fight for Christendom and as the church in the world. So we hope you guys enjoy it. And without further ado, our interview with Richard Ackerman. All right. So, Richard. Yes. All right. So why don't you start off and um, introduce yourself. All right. So my name is Richard. I'm originally from New York, born and raised, not the city, not upstate, somewhere in between. And I currently go to school in Texas at SMU. I'm not studying anything religious in school. I'm doing a double major in mathematics and music. So I play the viola and part of the orchestra. And yeah, I'm in my sophomore year of college right now. Oh, okay. What's your, what's your major right now? So I'm doing a double major in mathematics and music. I'm probably going to spend. Did you say that already? <laughs> no, you're, you're good. You're good. <laughs> oh, I am so sorry. Clearly, I have been working. It's all right. I sounded I sounded too generic and rehearsed because I've, I've told that to a lot of people. It just went right past you. No, no, you're fine. No, that was. <laughs> so. I completely forgot my whole bit, so I'm going to just say it right now. So welcome to the to Catacombs Theology. Completely forgot to do that. Um, but yes, welcome. But yeah, as you were saying, so you said you're uh, going to school in Texas. Uh, what was the university again? I'm sorry. SMU, Southern Methodist University. Oh, it's a Methodist college. I don't know. About so that. it's not a religious school. It's religious the way that, I don't know your average Catholic university is religious. It's like, there's like 10% of the students are like Methodist and everyone else is just same sampling you'd have at any other college. Um, okay. So, well, what do you want to do as your, like, what's your goal in school? Like, what are you trying, what's your end goal? What are you trying to do? So career-wise, I'm going to pursue something with mathematics. Most likely I'd be like an actuary or something that's more to do with like the pure mathematics whereas less to do with the engineering type of mathematics that a lot of other guys do um i'm also getting a degree in music but that's mostly for connections because um i it's very hard to make a lot of money as a musician and you know if i'm planning to have kids i gotta gotta feed them somehow so <laughs> I can't try. <laughs> huh. You know, that actually doesn't make sense though, because music music and math does work together. 
Yeah. It, I mean, similar. I'm very, very passionate about both of them. And they are very similar. Like Pythagoras is like the pioneer of both. And in the medieval era, they thought of music and math as almost the same thing. And it was later on when music got more like romanticized and emotionalized that they started to see music as more of an art. Originally, it was more of a science, though. So I think they are very similar and complement each other well. Also, music gives me the scholarship that lets me go to school in a fancy private school, despite not affording it. So there's that as well. That also helps. What there's instrument? The, there's the, uh, that's, that's the cynical answer that I know you really wanted to hear. <laughs> so what instrument do you play, by the way? I play the viola. So I'm in the orchestra. Um, in the school orchestra, it's a really good orchestra. Not because I'm in it, but I'm I'm in the back. You missed your chance. It could have been like, you know, that's obviously because you know my contribution <laughs> to the. Well, the the, uh, the ninth commandment is "Thou shall not lie." So. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So then, how did you? So how did you come to Christianity? So how? What was your your faith journey like? It's complicated. The simple version I project on Instagram is I was just a woke leftist and I became Christian. Um, because this is a video, I'll give you the more accurate and less sort of oversimplified version. My Neither of my parents were really religious when I was born. They both had some sort of a religious upbringing. My mom was raised Catholic. My dad was raised Jew. My dad was actually raised in a very religious Jewish household. It was the type of Judaism where you don't actually believe in God, where it's just the cultural thing. It was Reformed Judaism. Mm -hmm. um, but neither of my parents were really religious, so I wasn't brought up in any specific thing. And the place where I grew up, the suburbs of New York City, um, it's just very secular. There were a lot of people who identified as everyone is either Jewish or Catholic, but that had nothing to do with what you believed. It was, do you open your presents on Christmas or Hanukkah? And realistically speaking most people were atheists and those who were not atheists just weren't allowed to talk about it um now my family specifically i actually was exposed to evangelical christianity in some sense because we had these neighbors who were like really conservative like baptist fundamentalists now they attended a presbyterian church because there were no baptist churches around but um and so they invited us there. It was a PCA church. It was one of Tim Keller's daughter churches. And looking back, it was, I mean, aside from the fact they worship in a gym because they're PCA, <laughs> um, it was a really good church. The pastor was brilliant and they sent me to Sunday school even. And looking back, most of what I taught in Sunday school was really solid aside from one time I got an argument with the teacher about young earth creationism. So they invited us to church and my dad wanted to explore Christianity because he'd been raised Jewish. So my mom and I kind of just went along with it. My mom just thought it was good for my dad. And I went along because my parents said I couldn't stay at home because they couldn't afford a babysitter. I didn't really believe in it personally. And the older I got, the more explicitly I rejected it. Um, was now, what? What, why Why is that? Like, why did you explicitly reject it over time? So ever since I was a really little kid, I was really into science. And I saw religion as being anti-science. 
and I saw religion as holding back human progress. So I never really convinced myself to be an atheist. Once there was a time when I was like an edgy nine-year-old and I tried to say I didn't believe in God. Logically, I simply had to believe in God, right? The existence of everything, the existence of the soul is not explainable without God. So I, I guess you could say I was more of a deist, but I was opposed to religion. I saw religion as anti-scientific and culturally this, I was taught this by my school, but I internalized it and went way farther than anyone ever taught me. I was really progressive. I was like, you know, the way technology and science works is it gets better over time. And the more modern is more modern it is, the better it is. And I said, okay, that probably applies to politics and culture. So I was like, of course, socialism is probably the best way to go. Of course, um, all traditions, traditional marriage should be bad. Of course, um, we should have government, public schools raise kids more than the parents do. I, I thought that was just common sense. And I couldn't see how anyone in their right mind could be conservative. So at this church, my dad did end up converting Christianity and being baptized there. Um, but soon after that, my family just sort of drifted out of it. Uh, we stopped going to church and, um, at the time, like my view of Christians was, I could see they were really nice people, really sweet people. That was what moved my dad to convert, but it didn't move me at the time. I just saw it as weak and I saw them as just like primitive cavemen almost who aren't enlightened by science and all that. Um, so what changed? What you? I, I didn't answer your question at all. What changed was, um, like, as a, as a young kid, I had a lot of character flaws. I had a lot of anger, a lot of pride. Most people couldn't stand to be around me. And obviously, I believe God is in control of the whole narrative. So once my pride was shattered by going to this summer camp, because I was a musician, I go to music camps. I went to this camp. It was a communist Jewish music camp. Um, mm. That was how it was founded. That's not how they advertise themselves. But okay. it was in it was in the middle of Vermont. Um, <laughs> like it's not like I went there and I saw hammer and sickle everywhere. But <laughs> the, you could you could smell it a little there. But, but that I was like into that stuff. Mm. But um, the kids there were just like sort of New York City kids who, and as you know, New York City kids are not known for their manners, not known for their right. kindness either. So because like, I was a little bit weird, I wasn't really the best socially, I got made fun of a lot there, got picked on. So that really wasn't good for my pride. And that sort of shattered my pride. So I was like, yeah, I, I need to like, improve myself. I started to realize that the, just the way I behave wasn't good for me socially. So um, in high school, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop being antisocial. I'm going to start like trying to actually connect with other human beings instead of being stuck in my own nerdy bubble. Mm. And I wanted to go to another, to a, a summer camp again, because that's what you do if you're a musician, but I didn't want to go back there. I wanted something the exact opposite of that so this the same evangelical family who converted my dad recommended this christian music camp and the only reason i said yes to going to some midwestern christian place was because of how terrible the um the liberal place in vermont was so mm. when i went there i expected them to completely exclude me for being totally different from them but 
I saw that they were the most like kind and accepting people I'd ever met. And I'd noticed that before, but it didn't move me because of how much, how my pride, but when I was actually able to connect with them socially and actually care about that, that's when I was socially compelled to become Christian and I wanted to be just like them. So I like to think of myself as a rational person, but it was more of a social reason why I converted. It wasn't like I saw some argument on the internet that persuaded me to convert. I, I just saw the beauty of Christianity. So that's why I think the best way to reach people is showing the goodness, truth, and beauty of Christianity. Cause it was kind of all three of them that helped me convert. And as soon as I did convert, I went back home and all my Jewish or atheist friends were really suspicious of me. They're like, Oh, he's a Christian now. And they were, I was like, mm. don't worry. I'm still a liberal, but <laughs> the, the um, dominoes had started to fall and mm. eventually, uh, they were suspicious of me. They sort of asked me some questions to expose me as a uh, conservative by their standards. I was still pretty liberal. So that, mm. um, because of that, I got excommunicated from my friend group, totally destroyed my social life in high school. Mm. And after, like that sort of pushed me more like away from my progressive leftist beliefs. And I don't want to frame this in political terms. It's not like I left being a democrat and became a republican it's not like that at all leftism mm -hmm. is a religion i left that religion and i became christian um mm -hmm. so when i was alone i started having a lot of doubts about the faith how do i know any of this is true like when you first convert you're just excited like yay christianity but mm -hmm. and i was like how do i know any of this is true so that sent me on a long journey of trying to figure out all these questions i did belong to a church once I became Christian, I joined a church, but it's a mainline church. So they didn't really offer me many resources. I did have one mentor, but I didn't see him much. So I mostly had, I was mostly on my own. I mostly had to figure out the hard questions all by myself. And I was just totally alone in high school until the pandemic. I decided this is a good opportunity to start reaching out online. I started to try and do some online evangelism it went nowhere. It did get me my girlfriend who is at the future Mrs. Zoomer right now. And once I met her, I was just like, okay, that this is great. I sort of gave up because my evangelism went nowhere. But then I saw the Christians, like, this is like beginning of, this is like one year ago, right? One year ago, mm -hmm. I saw, hey, all the Christians from my um, summer camp that helped convert me have now fallen to leftism and they seem very secular now. So oh, I was wow. like, I was really sad about that. It was like my friends had died, basically, um, mm. especially this one girl who meant a lot to me at the time. She was the biggest factor in me converting to Christianity. She went leftist. She cut her hair short. She put the pronouns in her bio. She has severe depression now. She went through the whole progression. Um, so I, I, I shouldn't be laughing. But yeah, no, no, you just, should be laughing. Just your progression. <laughs> The way you describe the process. That's how it works, though. And you should <laughs> laugh because laughter is the way we evolve to deal with anything that's bad. So um, I laugh about it, too. I joke about it all the time. So I, want, I made the page Redeem Zoomer to show that the process can go in the reverse. I see all mm. my friends going from Christian to leftist. I made my page to show you can go from leftist to Christian and also to 
like I wrestled with a lot of these hard questions and they were really hard. I am also dedicated to making the hard questions easier. Like a mm. lot of, there are answers to these questions in church history, but they're just not made accessible. I think this is kind of the stuff the catacomb is trying to do too, to like make, I don't know, esoteric church history ideas more accessible to average people, right? Mm -hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, to kind of bring the ancient faith to to the modern audience, kind of like you know when you pull out you know like uh like the old little like Indiana Jones, you know they pull out this old scroll and it's like right. this ancient yeah. thing, yeah, like it's kind of like a sort of like Star Wars, you know, like the Very ancient Jedi, yeah, like yeah. who are the ancients? You know, these are the Church Fathers. So yeah, yeah, you're right. The sacred Jedi texts, exactly. <laughs> So, like, one of my missions is, like, you know, I, I became Christian because I saw the beauty of the kingdom of God. And how do we show people the beauty of the kingdom of God? It's not going to be by retreating to rural bubbles and singing Hillsong until Jesus comes back. We got to retake the mainline churches. <laughs> oh, that is right. So that, yeah, and that would lead you lead me to the, actually, the question of your, the, the main topic. But before I get there, I did want to ask you, so, um, so you're Presbyterian. Yes. Right. Okay. I'm, so, I totally forgot about that part of the story. So. <laughs> no, you're fine. I was just going to ask you about that. And especially since we don't really, I say we, but I mean, me, me, me. I don't see a lot of Presbyterians, or at least if I do see someone who's a Presbyterian, they're not like a Presbyterian, you know, they're just kind of like, oh, I'm reformed. And it just kind of covers a large blanket. And, and so what, what drove you to accept the Presbyterian expression of the faith? Very good question. So when I first became Christian, I decided to be Presbyterian. I didn't know what that meant in terms of Calvinism or Reformed theology. All I noticed is that I noticed Presbyterians were rare, like you said. It's not like they're crawling around everywhere. I noticed they were very overrepresented in musical and academic fields because a lot of the staff members, including the director of the Christian camp I went to, were Presbyterian. Like a lot of US presidents have been Presbyterian. So Presbyterians are really overrepresented in music, science, and other academic fields. So I, I'm coming from a background of, I love science. I can't stand when religion is opposed to science. So Presbyterians seem like the two, like if you wanna be a nerdy Christian, if you wanna be a Christian and not give up on science, your two options are pretty much be Presbyterian or Catholic, or I guess Anglicans are pretty good at that too. But Presbyterians have the reputation for being nerdy Christians. So I just intuitively sensed that I agreed most with Presbyterians it's like you can tell a denomination's theology, like you can feel their theology just by looking at them, not even if you don't study it. So I intuitively felt a connection to it before I looked into it. So fast forward 18 months when I was starting to actually investigate the big questions, I learned what Calvinism was from my um, history class. and. The teacher said calvinism is where you think that you're predestined to heaven or hell and i was like that's ridiculous and then i saw the chart that she had on the screen 
and Presbyterians were apparently a Calvinist branch. And I was like, uh-oh. Mm. So I went to my mentor at the church and I was like, so I've heard Presbyterians are like part of the Calvinist branch. You don't actually believe that anymore, do you? And he was like, oh, I do. I was like, oh, okay, that's not helpful. But um, <laughs> so a few things I did, I, um, I was having a meeting with my mentor to talk about all these big questions. And I thought, now this is another reason I believe God controls every single event. Um, I opened my Bible because I thought I would just read a bit to prepare for him, but I had not actually done any Bible reading up until this point. I opened mm. to a random, random page in my Bible. Guess where I opened? Where did you open? Romans 9. <laughs> On the day I was going to talk to him about Calvinism. So I read Romans 9, and this, like a lot of people say, oh, you're just misinterpreting Romans 9. I was coming from the perspective of, I can't stand this Calvinism thing. And I was reading and I was like, St. Paul could not have been clearer here. Um, um, I'm not sure you, you probably don't agree with that, but that's, that's what I thought at the time. So I guess I was like, I guess it's true. I just don't like it. But then listening to some sermons from Tim Keller, which my mom recommended actually, because the church we used to go to was one of Tim Keller's daughter churches. It was Tim Keller sermons that helped him. Um, not me not just be okay with calvinism but actually love it and i know um some of you watching this i know not you some of you guys in the audience might think tim keller's woke guys i've seen woke he's not <laughs> <laughs> you know that's actually that, that's funny because that reminds me of um when i was converting to anglicanism and i was meeting with my uh then and now current mentor my priest um that reminded me when you asked him if you know you don't really still think that do you i asked the exact same question but it was regarding infant baptism oh because <laughs> i was i was baptist you know slash not and on but baptist at this time and we're sitting in starbucks and he's like you know i'm asking him all these questions and i was like so infant baptism i'm like so is that something like that you guys that like regularly practice he was like oh yeah yeah he was like he was like we we pour the water on him i was like crap <laughs> uh so i understand i definitely understand that um so i did another just follow-up to the presbyterian part i do remember you wrote an article for us and you mentioned i think it was space is that what it was it was space because um, yes. you were talking about, if I can quote you, you said, so while predestination is, is an important part of Reformed theology, it's not the only part. And the yeah. so-called five points of Calvinism are two of our decent summary of the Calvinist view, but do not touch on any of the other issues central to Reformed Calvinist theology. So what would you, um, so... What's what's your ex, um, exposition on that, would you say, or on like the five points? It, it, it can be brief. It doesn't have to be like an in-depth thing. Yeah. Now, when I first became Calvinist, I kind of was more the Presbyterian five points of tulip. One of the biggest reasons that I forgot to mention was I saw God arranging a lot of events in my life so that, I mean, I'm appealing to personal experience, but everyone does that. So, True. um. Yeah. 
but it was more when I came down here to Texas, I saw all this non-denom stuff and I was like, Presbyterianism, I know it's different than that, but I need to explain why. And I was like, all this reformed Baptist, John MacArthur, Steve Lawson, John Piper, this doesn't really seem like what's in my Presbyterian church. That drove me to investigate the history of reformed theology and found out that the reason I had this instinct is because it's really not, because Calvinism originally had, had described Calvin's view of the sacraments as opposed to Zwingli's and opposed to Luther's. So that's why the first point of redeemed Zoomer's five points of Calvinism, the S in space, is for spiritual presence. Mm. Mm, that makes sense. And that is a problem with um that is a problem with Calvin well not with Calvinism, but with people's perception of Calvinism. Yeah, um, a lot of people associate Calvinism with John MacArthur, aka um Nestorius 2.0. So yeah. I added amillennialism and covenant theology to distinguish Calvin's Calvinism from this dispensational premillennialism that I think is honestly poisonous when when it comes to the role of the church in the world. So with that in mind, so how does your the your Instagram you're talking about um redeemed zoomer um so how does that ministry that you do connect with um your plan to take your the what are they called the op the reconquista i believe is what you call it i know you told me i need a better name for that <laughs> to plan to retake the mainline church right basically how else am i gonna get the idea out that's it's well, simple, simple as that i think i do so why is that important to you actually i want to start with that so why, why okay. is that so important because most people just split at this point so like why should someone lead someone like why should someone in their comfy you know orthodox presbyterian oh i think it's the opc orthodox presbyterian no, like why yeah like why should they leave their comfy little congregation and then go into the nightmare that is pc usa now in terms of the people i would want to be the to leave their churches and go to that, I wouldn't tell a PCA or OPC person to do that. But mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll get to that later. So why does the Reconquista need to happen? Mm -hmm. I'm convinced that Protestantism will die within a generation if it doesn't. Um, I will die on that hill. And it's, it's a very bold claim, but- That is a bold claim. From a theological perspective, it seems like we should just totally abandon the mainline churches. But from a historical perspective, the mainline churches are the historical Protestant churches. They're the ones culturally rooted. We as Americans like to think of everyone and every church as just individual free-floating bodies. But mm -hmm. religion is completely inseparable from culture. And the cultures of America and the Protestant countries of Europe are inseparable from their religious institutions. Those institutions are the mainline churches. The culture 
will always be tied to the mainline church, not the evangelical church. So evangelical churches do a good job saving souls. I, I grant that. That's not all that matters. Matters is the kingdom of God. And if we're to redeem the culture in any sense, we need to um, redeem the cultural institutions and the cultural institutions are connected to the mainline churches. All the biggest. So, what do you mean by cultural institutions? Oh, no, you're about to explain it. Go ahead. Yeah. So many universities and hospitals were founded by religious Bible believing Christians and are still have some sort of connection with the mainline church. Princeton, arguably one of the best colleges in the world, it's connected to the PCUSA, for example. Harvard was founded by Puritans. Harvard was founded by Puritans. Columbia Presbyterian, where my mentor is actually a professor at. It's, it has Presbyterian in the name, but trust me, it's not connected to the PCA or the OPC. Um, you know what I mean? Because mm. the split wasn't like this. It wasn't like a branching off in both directions. It was the ship got taken over by pirates and the original members literally just jumped, jumped ship and tried to build their own ship out of twigs and seaweed. That's the way I see the evangelical churches. They're, they will never be able to make one-tenth of what the historic Protestant churches did. It's just not possible. Um, because the historic Protestant churches were built during an age when Christianity was the culture. That's not the case anymore. And as evangelicalism has grown, Christianity has shrunk in the West. Albert Einstein said That's the definition of, ins- definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. For the past 70 years, evangelicals have tried the same strategy, where if we just have enough revivals, do enough church plants, then eventually we'll save enough souls to change the tide of atheism taking over the West. And it never works, but they they keep trying the same thing over and over again. And they're like, well, we just need to pray for a revival. We, they've been mm. doing that for many years, and there have been revivals, but on the macro scale, it's been a failure. So evangelicalism has failed. It what it was meant to preserve Christianity, and it failed to do the very thing it exists in order to do. It's time to give up on evangelicalism and retake the mainline church. It's not going to be easy, but I think it's biblical. Here's why. God's people abandoning God and worshiping idols is not new. Think of how often in the Old Testament the temple was used for idol worship. But when did God ever say to split from the temple and start your own new one? He never did. He always told the prophets to take back the temple. Isaiah never started Isaiah's new Bible temple, right? Mm -hmm. God cares about geographic locations. These building, almost every historic beautiful church in america is a mainline church as far as protestants go catholics still have their churches because they never ran away when they had problems say what you want about catholics but they didn't (laughs) they didn't fall to liberalism the way protestants did um so it's like me and my girlfriend right we're looking for presbyterian churches to go in the future every pca church we find worships in like an elementary school and if they do have their building it doesn't really look like a church building Every PCH, every PC USA church we find is beautiful because it's just 
they the PCUSA and as well as the other mainline denominations are the official established Protestant churches. And evangelicals live in a bubble that's disconnected from the rest of people because of fundamentalism, the whole retreating mindset. But to the eyes of the world, to the eyes of like a like just a secular textbook or Wikipedia, for example, the mainline churches are the official Protestant churches. When the average person thinks of Presbyterians, they think of their local PCUSA church down the street. They don't think of some PCA church that meets in a in a school somewhere. <laughs> so the taking back these institutions for the kingdom of God matters, I think. I think mm. it was a really bad decision to leave them. And yeah, I think Protestantism will die if we don't do it. It's not going to be easy, but the alternative has not worked for the past 70 years. Mm. And Christians need to stop running away. Christian, the only thing American conservative Christians are good at is running away. That is something I have to say. And that's a lot of the reason why um, uh, I want to, why I started the catacomb, why I want to eventually make it a university is because I think, I think um, that like what you said, like Christians need to stop running. Like that's something Christians do a lot. Um, we, or I won't say, I know Roman Catholics, but like not I, um, so yeah, I'll, don't. yeah, I'll separate it. I'll say evangelical in the very, you know, modern sense of the word evangelical Christians have a tendency of when the going gets tough or when the water gets hot, they either try to blend in like a chameleon or they just jump ship. And I think as Packer said, um, they kind of view it almost as a spiritual, like a spiritual good, like that they are willing to abandon, you know, their church body for the sake of, um, you know, their personal beliefs. But to the devil's advocate, I did, I'm going to bring up some stuff that I think you got on, I read your, your post where you first posted this, and I read all, I, I like reading comments because they're entertaining, and I, there are some people that said some stuff, so I'll re-bring up what they said, um, so I remember one person mentioned, you know, why is the building itself so important like because when you like when the comparison between the temple and um the mainline churches you know if the church um build why is the church building so important you know why can't we just build up what we have started under good doctrine and then kind of let the um unbiblical doctrines kind of just crash and burn eventually yeah so it may if it was really just about a building it wouldn't i agree it wouldn't completely be worth it but it's not just about the building the difference in architecture is symbolic of the broader difference in one is the historic established one and one is a new offshoot that's not rooted in anything really so the buildings of mainline churches are, you know, old, they're beautiful, they're relics of 
a time past. What that symbolizes is the fact that the mainline church has its roots in the cult history and culture of like America of the West and mm -hmm. the evangelical churches be like the mainline churches are always at the center of town. The evangelical churches being new buildings that don't even really look like churches on the side of the road somewhere. It symbolizes the fact that evangelicals are in exile culturally. So mm -hmm. the evangelical church isn't really a united organism. It's just a weak coalition of exiles. And the building differences symbolize that. It's really weird to see so many beautiful church buildings that are dying because there's no Christians in them and so many Christians that don't have a building. That's really weird from the outside. And when you see that glaring difference, you think what caused this and what caused that is the fact that evangelicals ran away from the culture when things got hard. Okay. And how would you, I, I do want to use this for clarification. So when you say evangelical, what do you mean when you say evangelical? I mean, they're, they're cons the subset of conservative Protestants who decided to not stay in the mainline churches, basically. Mm -hmm. And so when you say mainline too, you mean like, like for instance, Anglicans, the mainline would be like the Episcopal church or... Because of like how traditional Anglicans are, it's not quite the same because ACNA churches are very similar to Episcopal churches in style. I'm more referring mm -hmm. to like United Methodist or PCUSA. I still think the Episcopal Church to an extent. I still think taking back the Episcopal Church is something we need to work on. But I'm less concerned about the ACNA because they're not as influenced by broader evangelicalism the way the PCA, for example, is. Mm. That makes sense. So why would you... Oh my goodness, I almost gave myself a Charlie horse. <laughs> that could have been a horrendous thing to have on an interview. Um, but anyway, um, so why would why do you think Presbyterians I won't bring it Methodist because you know we're not really in the we're not in the Methodist branch, but why do you think the PCA or PCUSA kind of fell to the liberal onslaught with you know as academic as presbyterians are kind of known to be and like logical you know why do you think they gave in or caved in theological liberalism has been a problem in all the protestant churches no one's been exempt from this since the 1800s really um protestant liberalism was a movement that started in the 1800s and it was basically a way of just not taking like any of the historic claims of Christianity seriously. So that includes the authority of the Bible, includes miracles, all that. And in reaction to liberalism, there was the fundamentalist movement. Um, but the fundamentalist movement didn't really want to confront liberalism as it should have. It was more about running, just closing their ears to liberalism and running away. The fundamentalist movement was also about retreating from the culture in a broader sense. It was the movement that said, 
homeschool all your kids, retreat from the cities, and wait for yeah. Jesus to come back because Jesus is going to come back every any day, as we know. Um, they said mm -hmm. this in like 1900. Uh, <laughs> so the reason they fell to um, liberalism is because it's been a movement that's been happening in the 1800s. The reason it's gone so far to the point where you'll have church services completely dedicated to like trans pride, for example, the reason it's gone so far is because conservatives keep running away one after the other. So there's really no limit to how radically liberal it's going to get if conservatives mm. keep running away. That reminds me of Liberty, um, Liberty University a little bit. And I, I don't mean to throw them under the bus because I love the school. I mean, obviously I attend it, but um, Liberty was kind of kind of that way too. Um, so I understand what you mean by that. So how have you been like personally involved and affected by this movement you're trying to start? And also like how it, would you say is grassroots right now? Do you have people already kind of also joining you in this? So what's that looking like right now? Right now, um, so I'm not the first person to think of doing this. My mentor is the one who sort of planted the idea in my head that we need to retake this. And I also spoke to, there is a movement, an established organization within the PCUSA called the Fellowship Community that's dedicated to trying to improve the PCUSA. And I actually spoke to the leader of it, this old guy named Paul Detterman. But the problem is the movement just has no energy. It's just a bunch of old guys saying, hey, maybe can we maybe sort of improve this kind of, and even within that community, a bunch of people jumped ships and made the eco-denomination. So, like, I'm trying to start this movement, but give a new energy, more of a, I guess you could say a crusader mentality to it. And there's, I want to sort of mix it with a lot of growing energy among young people who know something's wrong in the culture but don't have the slightest idea of what to do about it because i'm convinced that retaking the mainline churches will result in retaking the entire culture so have you done anything um yourself i i do remember you gave um, an explanation before talking about oh forgive me um, you were explaining that you did sort of retake a church, which was a really cool story. I don't remember where you posted it, um, but you posted it somewhere and you were talking about how you basically retook your church. Um, yes. So could you elaborate on that story to kind of give people an idea of how you want this to work. Yeah. So the way that these churches fall to progressivism, what happens is some really woke pastor gets selected, says woke things, the conservatives run, they have control of it now. 
So when I first joined my PCUSA church, it was one of the most, it was the only church in our presbytery that had not yet fallen to progressivism. Mm. It was what it was the last like conservative one left. Our pastor had a stroke and retired. The first year after the after one year of me being there, the pastor retired. And I was like, oh man, I was starting to like this guy. So then they selected and they want to select a new pastor, but they were like, let's have a two-year interim pastor for some reason while we select our permanent pastor. So the interim pastor they selected was this woman from the UCC. The UCC is another woke mainline denomination, but it's not like the PCUSA is any better. So that that's, doesn't even really matter. But I, you could tell that she was really woke and that her mission was to try and make our church more woke. Every single sermon was Christianity is not about this thing you think Christianity is about. It's actually about this woke thing. So mm. she said things like saying you believe the Bible is like saying you believe the New York Public Library. Her point being that the Bible is just a compilation of a bunch of contradictory texts. Um, wow. So her sermons, now, some of them at first, they were a bit more subtle. At first, it was just sort of uh, fruity, um, sort of hippie, like spirituality. But especially when COVID started and the um, things got really political, she started actively saying we need to fly a pride flag in the sanctuary and posting the most woke stuff you could imagine really? and a lot of people and wow. a lot of us a lot of us guys in the church um us conservative con relatively conservative to her we're like this is ridiculous we want to get out of here but then we were like no we need to not let this church fall so we wrote a letter to the pastor nominating committee for our permanent pastor. I mean, I wrote a letter. They just said things verbally, but I actually wrote a letter when I was in my junior year of high school. I could maybe show it to you if you want. It's it's on the post actually, so it's on my Instagram. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be per. That would be great. Actually, do you? How long is it actually? It's like a page and a half, maybe two pages. Could you actually read out? the letter sure. if that's not too much trouble it's not trouble at all uh let me find it um you said a junior in high school wow that's yeah that's that's bold right there this is that's september 2019 so to the pastor okay. nominating committee said i would like to offer my thoughts on what i believe is essential i'm not going to read the whole thing i'm just going to read the important parts Go ahead. i would like to offer my thoughts on what i believe is essential for choosing our next pastor what brought me to faith was the powerful message of the gospel, which inspired me to study Christianity in depth. So I said, as a young teenager in high school, I see a great crisis in the culture of my generation. There is enormous lack of faith among my peers, with next to none of them being believers. I see the effects of this in that so many teens like me are suicidal, nihilistic, and bitter. Drugs, social media, grades, and politics fill the void in the hearts of so many where God ought to be. I care so much for each and every one of my peers, though I do not know what I can do to help them. I speak so passionately as I too used to be under the full influence of today's culture before I was saved. My self-image was my idol. I did anything I could to serve my pride and boost my self-esteem. 
Today's culture is all about self-love and entirely centered around achievement, causing so many to fall into darkness and depression. I was saved by Jesus Christ, who through scripture told me that I am broken, dead in sin, and there is nothing I can do to fix it. That I should not focus on loving myself, but others. That my self-worth is not determined by material glory, but by the fact that I am saved by Jesus Christ, who loves me even though I do not deserve it. This is the essential message of the gospel, of deliverance from our own sin, that I believe so many around me are starved for, unbeknownst to them. That's why I believe the message of the gospel is so important. I'm also a Presbyterian because I believe that Reformed Calvinist doctrine is the best way to present the gospel. We believe in grace alone and unconditional election, that we have absolutely nothing, that we have done absolutely nothing to earn our salvation. Nothing can be more gracious than this. We also believe in the total sovereignty of God, and because of this, we can be assured that every single event that comes to pass is part of God's ultimate incomprehensible grand plan. Therefore, we never need to worry about any challenge, no matter how devastating uh, can ruin God's plan for us. And then I go on more just talking about how good doctrine. So I said, I believe we need to present this glorious message to those who do not have it. And in order to do that, we will need to choose a pastor who holds to true theology upon which the Presbyterian Church was founded and who is not afraid to preach it. The reason I say this is while I love the PCUSA, I fear that it is abandoning its message. I know there's a growing movement in this church turning away from orthodox doctrine and towards a progressive political message. I went on a confirmation retreat last year, and the pastors who ran it were hardworking, loving people, yet they did not preach the gospel, but rather taught a vague progressive spirituality. I found it as accepted, it's as accepted in our denomination to reject fundamental doctrines such as the literal resurrection of Christ, the divinity of Christ, original sin, atonement, and the infallible authority of scripture. Without these essential truths that have been inseparable from Christianity for nearly all of its history, we no longer have a saving gospel. But I've also seen the PCUSA embrace many cultural ideas and politics of our time, even though the Bible tells us not to conform to the ideas of the world. Having said all this, I think it is crucial that we choose a pastor who affirms the belief of the Westminster Confession of Faith, the document on which Presbyterian theology has always been based, now I know that's not true, but whatever. Um, while some consider theology less important, I now I have found that correct theology is necessary to carry the true message of the gospel. Um, thank you so much for reading my letter. Grace and peace, all that. Um, so, yeah, that was the gist of my letter. You can tell I was a bit more, like, a bit more of your stereotypical Reformed Baptist sounding in that letter back then. Yeah, I was about to say that sounds like you should have nailed it on nailed it onto the church door like Luther did. <laughs> I politely submitted it. <laughs> uh, Maybe if Luther wow. had politely submitted his theses, we'd still have the Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah, I think about that myself sometimes. Um, but yeah, so then why did so they did they end up listening to your appeal? Yes. So we select, they selected a new pastor and um, one who is orthodox relatively in doctrine. Now, fundamental or even evangelicals are going to flip when I say this. He is politically progressive in some ways. He's an egalitarian. He supports gay marriage in a political sense. And I could probably bet my life on the fact that he votes Democrat all the time. But theologically, he is sound. Now, people say, mm -hmm. oh, what do you mean he affirms gay marriage? 
that's not a theological issue really it's it usually is indicative of a of a deeper theological issue but on the essentials he is completely orthodox now i i'm pulling this up i have a post comparing quotes from the old progressive interim pastor versus the new pastor our permanent pastor who replaced her so um i'm pulling it up now our old pastor says it doesn't matter whether or not the resurrection happened historically. Um, the pride flag sends a powerful message wherever it hangs, especially when it hangs from a church. Christ-centered hospitality changes lives. Wow. That is radical. Wow. And she says, in the context wow. of like left-wing protesters, she says, I give thanks for all those that stand up for justice, whether they claim Christ or not, they're following Jesus in their way. She basically said anyone who's woke is following Jesus. Quotes from our new pastor is, nowadays, the mainline church willingly makes statements about an assortment of social and political issues. So it's not that the church has trouble using its voice today, it's that the church has difficulty speaking about God. That's a solid quote. As like, Christians, I use we that. Don't, yeah, he said, as Christians, we don't believe progress will save us from the ills of society. Instead, as Christians, we believe that God will fashion a new heaven and a new earth. He also said, the gospel readings are meant to reveal to us that Jesus is more than an ordinary human, more than a masterful teacher, more than an extraordinary miracle worker. While he might be all these things, the gospels provide clues, proofs, and affirmations that Jesus is God and God is among us. And he said, this is my favorite quote of him ever. Now, he said this to a bunch of liberal mainliners, all right? Jesus is not only our savior, but our Lord and our king. Every area of our lives is to be lived as the reformers asserted quorum Deo before the Lord. That means our political life, our economic life, our personal life, our family life. Jesus is Lord of all. And if Jesus is Lord, that means maybe the most painful recognition means that you are not the Lord of your life. Mm. Spoken like a Calvinist. <laughs> yeah, now... <laughs> is he a Canons of Dort five-point Calvinist, or is he like a more Barthian kind of Calvinist? I don't know. Either way, he's fully Orthodox. Wow. That's, that's a very beautiful story. Um, that uh, It almost reminds me of, um, have you ever read the books, This Present Darkness, before? No. You, I, you definitely should read it. Um, I'm definitely going to read it eventually when I... Um, when I finish the book we're reading right now on catacomb theology, I'll, that'll probably be the next book we go into, but it definitely reminds me of this present darkness, you know, just probably the spiritual battles that were going on in just that tiny little church, you know, that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, that is amazing. So who, so then who would you want? I think you mentioned that you said you were going to get to this later but who would you want to do this sort of thing? Like who, who, what is this mission or who is this mission for? Now, like I said, there are so many churches without Christians and Christians without churches. So I don't want to rip someone away from a doctrinally sound PCA church nor do I want to rip someone away from a doctrinally sound SLCMS or ANCA church. Non-denominational churches is where I want to 
draw the foot soldiers from. So most people in non-denominational churches choose them based on community and not doctrine. And there's so many people who don't even go to any church at all. They're just, they believe in Christianity and they are conservative in some sense, but they just don't know where to go. And they're not really rooted in any doctrinally sound church. So either way, they're not going to be getting sound doctrine from church. Those are the people that I think need to be the foot soldiers here. There are so many non-denominationals compared to the amount of mainliners. If every single non-denominational left their churches, sold their buildings and gave that money to the poor and started attending mainline churches, we would have them within five years. That'd be true. If, if just if a bunch of conservatives just said, you know, you know, say you had a small, yeah, you had a medium non-denom church, and they're like, all right, you know what? Screw it, we're gonna go and pour into the man. They, they, they could wreak some havoc in well, no, your in average those mainline churches. church. Your average mainline church is like twenty people who are already buying the snacks for their funerals, and um. Like 20, 20 really old people. Your average non-denominational church, especially here in Texas, is like a football stadium. True. It's not even funny how easy this would be if people just have the guts to do it. <laughs> I I and I agree with you. I think you know I will come out and say that's a really important. Um, I mean, you even got me thinking when I first heard about. It, I was like, you know, that's a really good point. Um, because again, I grew a Baptist, and so I heard the whole "we need a revival in this country," and you know, kind of the the theory was if you save souls, then the souls. That's kind of like liberties, um, liberties, even liberties, um, motto is like training champions for Christ. So, kind of the concept of you train people, you you win souls, and then you send the souls out, and then the souls will change the culture, but as we've seen, and like you said, you know, we haven't really seen the fruit of that since we started that movement, quote unquote. Um, Everything is just, yeah, we've seen the opposite. So, you know, and even with Liberty, you know, um, you know, Liberty started out as a hardcore, you know, fundamentalist, independent Baptist school. And really now it's a non-denominational school. I mean, we're not even called Baptists anymore. Um, and so again, even Liberty University, which was supposed to be that beacon of, you know, orthodoxy in that regard has, is already culturally, the doctrine is fine, um, but culturally the, the people are nowhere near the level of, um, spiritual maturity or being trained to have that kind of spiritual maturity that you would want to see and that'll actually make a difference and that would that's not easily affected by the emotional swings of progressive leftist um theology and so i i definitely see what you're saying with taking the the churches back and i also think that i think another like a sub sub line of what you're trying to do is really taking back 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost take, seems like you're trying to take back the um, the theology in a lot of ways. Like, kind of like what I said earlier, like what the catacomb is trying to do in ways to, you know, kind of go into the, the ancient Jedi scrolls that the Sith yes. destroyed and trying to like rebuild it because we don't have it anymore. Um, you have strong Presbyterian doctrine and strong Lutheran and, you know, Anglicanism and, and Roman Catholicism has richness in and of itself that, you know, we, we Christians, I mean, we barely venture past, you know, our NIV version of the Bible that we use coloring pencils. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to people who do use coloring pencils. The Bible is a great Joe. study tool evangelical women decorating their bible versus decorating their church yeah exactly exactly so i i i think that's kind of the the movement also that concurrently has to go with what you're trying to do um because that changes the culture Mm -hmm. um and like you said, like they're connected to the schools. I mean, you take that back, you take the schools back, you take the hospitals back. I mean, you really take everything because <laughs> everything is connected to Christianity as much as they try to, to cut it out and to act like it never happened. It's like, oh, no, it's it's ours. Well, they couldn't take back the church from the outside, which is why they had to take it back from the inside, which worked. They did hijack the church from the inside. Now we got to take it back. So it was weird the way I said that. Um, they couldn't, they couldn't defeat the church from the outside. So they had to defeat the church from the inside. Yeah, and so that's yeah. where we are right now. Um, so so what? Were like, actually, go ahead. You're about to. No, you, I think you're about to answer my question before I ask it. Go ahead. Uh, the plan for someone in a PCA or an ANCA church, I would say, don't leave that. I would say, just spread the word about this movement. I'm hoping if we do take back the mainline churches and their theology, we can reunify these churches so there can be one Anglican communion and one um, Presbyterian church. You know what I mean? Mm. Also, it's ACNA, by the way. I think you said A and C. I I say that a lot. I'm sorry. You're fine. You're fine. I just thought it was funny. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Okay. What was your next question going to be? No, I was going to just ask you um, what, well, you kind of answered it, like you said, spreading the word. Um, oh, that's what I was going to ask you. How do you plan on really getting this out um, to people? Like, this, do you want this to kind of be the focus of your your ministry as it stands right now? Um, and how do you kind of plan on pushing that to get other people to join you in this endeavor so the focus of my ministry if i can call it that it's i'm not ordained at all is reconquista in a broad sense so that means taking back the taking back the mainline church is at the center of it but taking back the culture taking back science and academia is also connected to that and a big part of what i do is insist religion does not contradict science because the church kind of founded modern science. And I think one of the worst things Christians are doing these days by Christians, I only mean evangelicals because they're the only ones doing this is denying science, which a lot of them do. Um, 
So how do I how do I plan on getting this out? My Instagram is the way I do that. And a lot of the things I post are so I can grow my audience. Like you'll see I post really in-depth academic stuff next to a right-wing meme, for example. Why do I do that? Because I need some of my posts are things I need people to hear, and some of my posts are to grow my platform. Because I need to get this message out somehow. Um, and I see the Instagram as the best way to do that, because Instagram is the easiest place to build up a strong platform. I've also started a YouTube channel, though, so I'm trying to get a lot of my followers from Instagram to go to YouTube. Like, at first, actually, Redeem Zoomer was going to just be a YouTube channel, but I couldn't get anyone to watch it. I was just making videos and talking into a black hole. So I made the Instagram at first just to build up a YouTube following, which worked, but Instagram is also a very good platform in and of itself. Mm. Okay. And we'll try, and I think we'll, we'll try to link your, if I can link it, I have a hard time linking stuff on my, I'm, I'm still figuring all my stuff out, but I'm going to try to link your stuff right. um, into the show notes. Um. But yeah, I think it's a wonderful, I think it's a wonderful thing. And it's great to see other people seeing value in the faith once delivered. Because, um, you know, we're not going to be able to beat the empire until we reclaim what was once destroyed. If redeemed Zoomer was in Star Wars, he would be like, take back the empire. We need to take back the Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like re reclaim coruscant and it's coruscant it is coruscant yeah i'm yeah. i'm not dumb i'm not dumb um now, so Star Wars doesn't support my message because they they never do take coruscant they try and start over that is true that is actually that's a that is a funny side a side example um Sorry, seeing how they constantly no you're fine you're fine um that was actually really good, you know, because if you like go into like the, all the lore, you do see they constantly try to start, then it fails, and they start, and then they fail. It it makes a lot of sense. Um, but do you have anything in closing, any kind of like advice you give to people who are listening, or future people who eventually will end up listening to this, who are kind of a little on the on the fence or like scared to leave their church? or something like that. Okay, so it may seem impossible, but Jesus said, for man it is impossible, for God all things are possible. As bad as our culture is, and as bad as the mainline churches are, remember, remember the Roman Empire. It would have, if you told a Christian in the first century you, that they might retake the Roman Empire, they would think you're crazy. But the early Christians were so brave, they got into those cities, they got into those institutions, they infiltrated the schools, and within a few centuries, they converted the Roman Empire into the largest conduit of Christianity in human history. So, like I say, with God, all things are possible. And, of course, God will raise up his church somewhere else in the world if it fails in the West. But... If we want Christianity to not die out in the West, we need to take back the mainline church. It's, I'm gonna quote Dr. Strange. There's 14 billion trillion possible universes 
and only in one of them do we win. Mm. And for you, that's taking an actress. That's very good. I like that. I really like that. Okay. I just remember there's another comment I saw on your post that I did want to throw a final devil's advocate question at you. Sure. Um, so they they were someone and they asked, they said we were just, I think they're responding to what you said about taking the church and they're like, um, why does our expression of faith have to be um, what you say it is? Like, why do you have to come in and like, quote unquote, butt us out when we're just minding our own business? And, you know, this is our church and our faith community that we have. And X, Y, and Z, why would you say it's necessary to clean? Like, why does it need cleansing? Which you've kind of already answered, but I just, just kind of a more focused answer on that. Because that's what they did. That's what they did. Like, anytime someone says, how are we possibly going to hijack it? Well, I mean, they did. So we're just flipping the script we're just doing it the other way around unless you want to tell me christians are weaker that's not the question you asked but that reminded me of that so this person was coming from the progress from the perspective of being a progressive mainliner and he's like why do you need to do this well it's because you're i'm talking to this progressive mainliner or people like him y'all's guys are the ones who are being dishonest by putting these labels of Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, Anglican on yourselves when you're really just Unitarian Universalists. Like what I like about Unitarians is they're honest. They're honest about what they are. Theologically, these mainliners are identical, but they deceive people. The reason the Presbyterian Church USA doesn't just rename itself or the reason they don't just quit and um, join a Unitarian Church is because they want to hijack this. They think Christianity is bad and they need to redefine it because they know they can't defeat it by opposing it from the outside. They know that this is the only way to do it. So um, what I say is if you really just wanted to mind your own business, you would stop calling yourself a Christian or Presbyterian or Methodist and just call yourself what you are, which is a agnostic un Unitarian Universalist. So it's like, you hijacked our thing. We're taking it back. Amen. Amen. Now it gets me excited. <laughs> it gets me very excited. Well, thank you, Richard, for coming on. Um, I know it was long, but I, I really appreciate it. I, appreciate, I apologize for my sound problems over here. I'm in, in my university right now, and it's closing stuff and I had to move and crap but yeah it was wonderful hearing that um and your convictions behind it because I think it's a wonderful a wonderful plan we need to do a comparison between Star Wars and the plan now to really really push that should be the advertisement right there are <laughs> many very many but yeah thank you so much thank um, you. I'm glad you were able to come on um We'll try to get you on for another interview at some other point, but yeah, until then, um, right. God bless. Until then, God bless. Thank you. Right. 
Thank you all for tuning in today. We hope you really enjoyed the entire interview. It was a wonderful conversation, and we had so much fun um, discussing the Reconquista and all the ideas together and discussing church history and just Richard's um, faith walk. I think it's a very important I think it's a very important story that a lot of Christians should hear and that it really is the story of many Christians. Um, you know, I think cradle cradle Christians can kind of forget that there is a coming to faith story for a lot of people that is different from being, you know, saturated in the church. So we want to thank him again. Be sure to follow him um, at Redeemed Zoomer on Instagram and um, follow his YouTube. If We're going to see if we can put it in the show notes. If we can't, then... Uh, just go to his Instagram and you'll be able to find it. Um, we should have the uh, next episode will be um, the next chapter of the Heritage of Anglicanism. Heritage of Anglican Theology. There you go. There you go. By uh, J.I. Packer. So we're going to uh, continue that, that um, series this coming Monday, so keep an eye out for that. But until then, thank you for tuning in to Catacomb Theology, and have a blessed rest of your day.